All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Dr. Joe Asamoah. He is an absolute real estate rock star. He's been investing through four market cycles. You will see him on many keynote podcasts and events around the country. He is a notable staple in the Bigger Pockets community. He has spoken at BPCon 2021, and he has also been featured on their podcast multiple times. He is just coming out with a new Section 8 playbook course on November 6th, so definitely check the link in the bio if you want to check that out. It is a four-week course that is starting out again November 6th that you guys can do a deep dive into how to use Section 8. I think this is a great episode. This is a guy who has come over from a different country with $100 in his pocket and become a completely financially free multimillionaire through passive income real estate rentals in one of the most competitive markets in the country. There is so much to learn from this, whether you are an experienced investor, a beginning investor, you have no experience at all, you're just looking to see some key things to take away to really start building your portfolio, or you're already doing this and you're looking for ways to maximize your, your rate of return, have better tenants, have a better experience, get more cash flow, or find ways to compete in competitive markets. There is so many amazing lessons, including how to properly and successfully invest through a recession, which is a huge, huge thing. So this guy has made tons of mistakes that you guys can learn and benefit from and had plenty of tricks of the trade that he has figured out to help speed up your process that he more than uh, is willing to share with the audience during this amazing episode. So I really appreciate him coming on. I think that there's tons of value in this episode regardless of where you are in your journey. Definitely something you wanna to listen to to get you inspired or to just get you some tactical step-by-step -step advice on what you should do in these different situations. So again, we're really uh, trying to up the notch here on bringing you guys content and steps on how to actually take down some of these properties and start to build up your investment portfolio and really change your life for the better. So check this out, follow the show notes. Thank you again for coming on, Dr. Joe Asamoah. I would also like to say, as usual, this podcast is brought to you in part by Nationwide Business Capital Group. So go to nicknicknick.com slash links and check out under affiliates. You will also see Naked Board Recovery CBD, as well as a way to contact Marianne from Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you don't even know what to ask, you just want to get started in real estate and you're looking to see what type of financing she can give you and what she can get you approved for, call her and say, hey, the Alien Podcast sent me over. I want to know what I can do to start getting some money to do some real estate deals with Nick and she will take good care of you. If you don't even know, that's okay. She will help you. But if you do, and you're looking for just somebody who can get you easier money, cheaper money, better rates and terms, or higher loan to value, definitely contact her as well and tell her the same thing. She will take good care of you like she does with myself and many other clients. And then of course, on nicknick.com slash links, contact me directly. Please subscribe and follow me on all social media platforms. If you send me direct messages on most of those, mostly through Instagram is the most common way that I see them. I miss them sometimes, so I apologize. But you can write to me and say, hey, I want to connect. I want to get started. I want to talk about my real estate journey. And whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, or find a way to partner, we can get that going. A lot of people are starting to pick up and uh, get some multifamily and mobile home parks that are small to mid-tier deals. So you'll be surprised that some of these multifamily or mobile home parks that are commercial deals could actually be the price of some single family home in some of these markets like Dr. Joe is investing. So sometimes under 500,000, sometimes under a million dollars, which is the loan amount, which means that's not the money you have to have. You can get into it with significantly less cash out of your pocket, which we can help you figure out how to do. You can contact me and we can start that conversation. So don't count yourself out or think that you can't get into this. I'm, I'm surprised very often how often I send people a property and they say, I can't afford that. 
And then I said, well, you're not supposed to pay the million dollars. That's where the lender comes in. You don't need that. This is what you make and this is what you actually have to put down. And look at what your return is, is based on that. So a lot of great ways we can do this. Sometimes you just don't really know how to look at it or the questions to ask. And that's how hopefully I can help you out. So follow me, connect with me, help yourself get involved in real estate today. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Have an outstanding weekend. Thank you very much. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is a real estate investor and mentor owning over 30 homes in the D.C. metro area. He's invested successfully over four market cycles over the period of 30 years. He's incredibly built this portfolio after arriving here at the age of 24 with $100 in his pocket, which is just an amazing story I'm sure we're going to get into. He has a niche in finding ways to invest in competitive high-priced markets and get cash flow, as well as appreciation for long-term wealth. He is an expert in wealth building through rentals and teaches other people to do the same. He includes working very closely with Section 8 tenants and housing authorities and is known for keeping quality tenants for upwards of 10, 15, even 20 years in some cases. He's a nationally known keynote speaker and educator on the topic and has been featured multiple times on Bigger Pockets podcast, as well as a keynote speaker at the recent BPCon. He has an MBA and a PhD, the founder of the Legacy Investment Network, host of the Wealth Wednesday segment on his social media and giving back to families and communities, master of low vacancy and high income. Thank you for being here and welcome to the A-Game podcast, Dr. Joe Asamoah. Oh my goodness, Nick. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> Nick, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a really an honor to be here with you. Man, I really appreciate that you were uh, you were open to come on as soon as uh, you know we talked a little bit before, but it was so interesting to me because th things pop up. It's almost like the you start looking for the car you want and then you see it anywhere. We we just put a home on the market and I never do the tenant screening. I mean, 15 years, I've never done it before. And this time I was like, you know what? It's not far. Let's throw it on the market. And the demand for Section 8 and voucher housing was huge. And I was just blown away that people were showing up and they were like, you know, like, we'll actually pay you more than you're asking because of the area. And it was just a whole thing that I said, man, I really have to learn more about this. I don't know the first thing uh, of like the do's and don'ts. And then that day it was like, come see Dr. Joe speak on Section 8. So I reached out and you were really awesome to come on, man. So I'm very excited. You are a wealth of knowledge. and There's so many different things we can dig into. But for people who don't know your incredible story on starting out, if you can give a quick 30,000 foot view of just who you are and where you came from. Oh, thanks, uh, Nick. Yeah, my name is Joe Asamoah. Some people call me Dr. Joe. Um, I was born in Ghana. And when I was five years old, my parents moved to England. So I stayed in England until uh, about 37 years ago when I came to the US. Um, I was working for a company. I was transferred from uh, London to Washington, D.C. area. And everything was great. I had $100 in my pocket. Hey, <laughs> ready to take on the world. $100. <laughs> <laughs> Two suitcases. Okay. Uh, kind of funny thing happened was that uh, after about six, seven weeks uh, in the U.S., uh, my boss, uh, who I was working uh, for, I suppose, uh, was fired. 
from his uh, position. And not because of anything he did wrong. It was just that uh, there was a reorganization and the, um, you know, the new CEO, one of his cronies in. And so my boss was let go. And uh, it just so happened a few weeks later, we, had, we, we were hooked up for, for, for coffee. And this was really the, uh, the defining moment for me. Uh, he said to me, Joe, hey, no big deal. This is America. These things happen. Um, you know, and, but I've got these rental properties, uh, which is generating this cash flow. So I'm okay. Uh, he said to me, well, what about you, Joe? What, what if this happens to you? What's your plan B? And uh, at that time, this guy had like 10 houses. I, I just couldn't fathom how anybody could own more than one house. You know, whoa, 10 is just crazy. Uh, anyway, so uh, he said, check this real estate stuff out. If you do, let me give you some three words of wisdom. One, uh, you know, make sure you keep your houses, okay? And, uh, and make sure that, uh, you know, you're able to, if, if, you know, don't get tempted to sell. You know, don't get tempted to sell. You're not going to make a whole lot of money initially, but you'll be grateful later on that you kept them. So that's essentially the words of wisdom he uh, shared with me. And, uh, you know, obviously after that, I bought my first house, which was a complete disaster. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. It was a disaster. I mean, I don't want to go through the details, but it was just like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I knew nothing. I bought a house. I knew zero. Okay, I just bought a house. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and no due diligence. And uh, I just bought a house. And uh, obviously, uh, I mean, looking back, we can all have a good chuckle. Ha, ha, ha. But at the time, it was just pure hell. And uh, But I got through that, bought another one. Uh, got through that, bought another one, just kept on going until 2003 when my income from my rental properties equaled the salary I was making my job. And, uh, and therefore, I, was, I had my plan B, and I was able to transition away from the corporate world into the real estate investing world. That's incredible, man. I can't imagine leaving my home country and coming somewhere not knowing anybody with $100 in my pocket. I mean, were people in your life telling you you were crazy? Like, what, what was that experience like for going over there? How, how did you feel? I mean, it must have been, it's, I mean, obviously you did it. So you felt somewhat confident that you were going to come over here and make a life for yourself. <laughs> well, maybe I was young and naive. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what's it called? No, the, the, the year before that, uh, my uh, college roommate, he, uh, a couple of years before that, my college roommate, um, uh, his parents emigrated to California. And, uh, and so he invited me over for one Christmas, um, you know, uh, holiday period. And that was the very, very first time I came to America. I just loved it. I just loved it. I, there was something about America I just loved. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's big cars or big houses or big roads. I don't know what it was because England, everything's small over there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just, I just, I just loved it. And I said, you know, if there's a way I can get over here, you know, I'll definitely take the chance. And uh, unfortunately, I, I did have the opportunity. So, uh, so I took it. Yeah. <laughs> and as I said, the, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So I know you, you mentioned some mistakes in your first deal. I, I always think it's really important because I did hear you say that I think uh, there's hardly anybody I speak to that's been investing for a period of time that hasn't seen something on TV and then gone to a hotel and laid out a credit card for, for some guru, whether it wound up being good or bad over time starting out. And I know you had a similar start that, but when, yeah. when things come out, you know, social media has been a little bit better that people are sharing a little bit more of the mistakes and the things that go wrong. But like 
around the same time where, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, when all you have is that the workbooks and the CDs that they give you, they don't talk about the stuff that goes wrong. They just talk about the success story and the, the smiling exactly. couple that you want to be in six exactly. months with no money exactly. down. So I think exactly. it's important to share those things because obviously you've done well, but there was some lumps along the way. What were yeah. some of those initial mistakes in your first deal? Uh, the first day I said, uh, it was just, it was just like what I, I went to some meeting of some guru, at, uh, what's it called? He was peddling some product and uh, I bought it, of course. And, uh, I went to a, a re- <laughs> so, so simple. All you gotta do is buy my course and, uh, suddenly, you know, palm trees are in the background, you know, <laughs> yeah, sailboats and all that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I bought, I met this guy at a rear meeting, uh, and, um, uh, he just happened to have a house uh, in Washington, uh, which, um, what's it called? He was selling, no money down, just like the guru said. And uh, so uh, it just so happened that this house was occupied by tenants. And uh, I asked him, you know, how are the tenants? He said, oh, man, they're great, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was straight from England, you know. All, all Americans are honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took him at his word, you know. And, uh, you know, so essentially I did zero due diligence. I just bought this house and found out later on that they hadn't paid in for three months. And they had a $5,000 water bill. Uh, the government was going to sell the house in a tax sale. I mean, all this stuff was going on. This is my first deal. And uh, so that's what I, I got into. And so I suppose the lessons learned were several. One, I mean, that house I bought for $47,000 in Washington. At that time, believe it or not, people were telling me I was paying too much. <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting ripped off, okay, 47K. I mean, that same house is now worth 850,000. Uh, I still own it. And, uh, but I can talk about that later on. I mean, the power of owning real estate in appreciated markets. That's a whole nother discussion. Uh, but essentially, um, you know, I did no due diligence. So obviously now the, the biggest lesson learned was make sure that you do your due diligence, make sure that, uh, you verify information, make sure that, uh, you know, you, 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 you check the house for repairs. Uh, if you're buying a rental property, obviously you, you know, you, you, you make sure that, uh, you get the history of the tenant payments and, uh, and just get, have some conversations with the tenants. Uh, so also the financing. Uh, that particular deal, it was just, uh, what's it called? Uh, no money down. So I was able to take over this guy's payments, but obviously there's the financing. That's a major part of the, uh, the, the whole lessons learned I've done. Cause I've done every single types of financing there is, and obviously the rehab renovation. I mean, there's just so many lessons learned. Um, the biggest one though, seriously is the, it's market cycles. Okay. Um, when the market's good. Everyone thinks they're great. Everybody thinks they, you know, they know it all, you know, they're, they're, they're geniuses. Uh, it's only when the market turns on you, okay? And I've been through this four times, that you realize, uh, you find out who's swimming naked, you know, when the tide goes out. You really find out, because you can't rely on the market to bail you out. You know, you've got to rely on the quality of the deal, the systems that you have, the networks that you have, the relationship. I mean, that's what's going to uh, get you through this thing. And uh, so I, I think the biggest lesson learned is I, having gone through these cycles is to make sure that you have uh, a strategy or a game plan that can weather good times and bad times. Make sure that you have a plan A and a plan B for every acquisition. If plan A doesn't work, okay, what's my plan B? And uh, because most investors, all they go in is with a plan A. 
and uh, and that's okay as long as Plan A can work. But if Plan B, Plan A doesn't work, there's no backup, and that's usually when people lose their shirt. That's usually when people get bankrupt. That's when people sort of uh, crash and burn, and, and things like that. As I said to you earlier on, um, you know, you don't want to be the guy standing up when the music stops. You know. Um, it's not pretty, <laughs> but uh, that yeah. So market cycles is is a key thing, and unfortunately, a lot of us, a lot of investors, haven't experienced a downturn yet, and uh, and I can talk about what a downturn means later on if you if you if you're interested. Yeah, I definitely I have a big bullet in there to talk about market cycles. I think it's so huge because just like you said, there's a lot of people that are out there and they they have their new courses now and they're doing all kinds of stuff and they're killing it on social media but they've never invested on the downside. So they only know how to buy stuff. And no matter what happens for the last five years, things are doubling and tripling. Like, and that, that's not the way it's always going to be. So, you know, no, one of my buddies recently, I went out to dinner with him the other night and he was like, when things are good, people think they'll never end. And when things are bad, people think they'll never end. He's like, so it's always kind of the same thing. But like you said, it, it is going to be cyclical. So how do you, how do you structure that? So, you know, a, a few things on that, that I wanted to touch on is one of them with the financing. So, when you did a, a seller finance deal, if you had gone with bank financing and they would have done their own underwriting, do you think you would have learned something during that, that they would have said, hey, we need to see leases, we need to see bank statements? Like, do you think you would have caught some of those things by knowing that there was a lien on it and there was non-performing tenants and economic vacancies? Because sometimes people see seller financing or no money down, but when there's not a lender involved, some of those protections are not there for people who don't know to ask those questions during due diligence. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, I didn't have a bank to deal with. I just dealt with the owner. And, uh, you know, obviously he was motivated because he just wanted to get out. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, young and young and naive. How about that? <laughs> and I didn't know any better. So I, I uh, got suckered into the fact that, uh, you know, there's no financing required. It, he was going to do it all. Uh, so there was no sort of um, uh, uh, cross-reference, double-check-in. It was just me and this guy. And, uh, and so on. So obviously if I had financing, uh, the mortgage company would have, uh, you know, wanted some financials. Uh, they would have wanted, uh, the leases. Uh, they wanted to sort of have some records of, uh, of, 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 of the tenants, uh, payments and things like that. So all that, those things would have come in place, but they weren't. And, um, and I didn't know to ask those questions, uh, of the seller. Uh, I just took him at his word. And, uh, and obviously that's not a sustainable business model. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, I think it's important because again, you know, people get suckered into, oh, I, I don't need any money for this. So it's got to be a good deal. And why would the owner lie to me? You know, and it's just, you never expect it. Obviously, if you met the guy and you were like, oh, he's a liar, I'm still going to do the, it doesn't work like that. It's always a surprise. You never see it coming, you know, or you wouldn't wind up in those situations. But, you know, I mean, but as I said, uh, everybody on this podcast, uh, your audience, you know, it, it, <clears throat> You, you, you're going to make mistakes, <clears throat> okay? Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, it's, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It happens to me uh, after 35 years. It's happening to you, I'm sure. And uh, you learn, okay? So the, the, the question is not so much that you're going to make mistakes. The question is, what do you learn from those things? And uh, can you surround yourself with people who are more experienced? And because when I started, I didn't have anybody to, to sort of run scenarios by. Um, you know, I didn't have podcasts to run by. 
Um, you know, so if you can surround yourself with people who are more seasoned, people who are more experienced, people who are successfully doing what it is that you want to do, whatever that is, there's a pretty good chance that they've already made a lot of mistakes. <clears throat> and, uh, and hopefully, um, you know, they can share with you their wisdom such that you don't have to make those same mistakes. You know, uh, as the saying goes, what does it say? A, a wise man learns from his mistakes, okay? Uh, a genius learns from other people's mistakes, okay? Life's too short. We don't have time on this journey to financial independence to make a lot of mistakes, okay? We want to learn from other people's mistakes so we can get to where we need to go to a lot faster. So I, I think that's really the, the, the key uh, thing is that there are people out there who are successfully doing whatever it is that you're doing. You're not the first guy to do it. I'm not the first guy to do what I'm doing, okay? There's other people who have done it. And uh, so if you can find those people, if you can somehow incentivize them to help you, then you can fast track, uh, you know, your goals. Uh, you know, that's really the biggest thing I would have, I've learned from all this, is that if I had taken the time to find people locally uh, or wherever who are successful doing what it is that I want to do, I would have been, uh, I would have reached my financial independence goals a lot faster than what I did. I love that, man. You know, and I'm, I am a big believer in not only learning from mistakes, but everything happens for a reason. And some of those first properties that maybe didn't go as planned, the nice part is, like you said, real estate over time becomes very forgiving. But I almost look back and I think if I didn't naively get that first deal, would I have talked myself out of every deal and, and maybe never even pulled the trigger? Because I know so many people... Yeah. That for yeah. decades have been trying to get into real estate and they just yeah. overanalyze it and they never pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah the, the stars never align. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's never a perfect storm where everything is perfect and now is the time to do it. You, you know, uh, you just have to do it, okay? And the first deal is never a home run. Uh, I think the first one, it, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. It At least, but, but it's important that the first deal is successful. Because uh, and successful doesn't mean you may you you know you can quit your job tomorrow. No, successful is that it didn't go wrong. Uh, you know, and because it gives you the confidence, the psychological confidence, to go on to the number two, and uh, and then number three and so forth. Whereas if the first one is a disaster like mine was, you know, <laughs> it can it can wipe you out and say I'm done with this thing. I'm you know let me go do Amway, you know uh, you. Know. <laughs> you know, or eBay, you know, because I can make more money there, you know, so you'll go on to the next shiny object. Uh, but the important thing is that uh, if you're going to enter this fray, try to get surround yourself with people who are more experienced with you, and therefore they're going to likely increase your chances of success. That's such great advice, man. And, you know, backing into that, when you were going through that deal, obviously you didn't come over with a bunch of money. So mentally and financially, how did you stay calm and get through that turbulent time without, you know, freaking out or, you know, obviously you might've freaked out, but how did you, how did you calm yourself and make it through that and, and stay the course? Cause a lot of people just fold during that. It, it is, you know, it, it is the skill in itself to stay calm in turbulent air. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it, it teaches a lot about yourself, you know um, you know, you only find out more about yourself when things go bad. You know, when good th when times are good, you know, you're thinking, oh, I can, you know, take on the world, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm invincible, you know, and, and so on. It's only when you hit a downturn that you find out more about yourself. And uh, I don't know how, I mean, looking back, 
I mean, I don't know how the hell I got through that thing. It was traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I, I stayed focused on what that guy told me, my boss, my ex-boss. You know, whatever you do, don't sell it. Keep it. And uh, because in the end, it'll turn itself around. And uh, so so to a certain extent, I had some wisdom uh, you know, uh, shared with me. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of guts to leave a country and uh, to a new place where you don't know anybody. And uh, so I just sort of, you know, you know, you know, either delve deep in with me to stick it out. Uh, but we turned it around. It, it was turned around in the end. And uh, the house number two uh, was really a house hack. And uh, because at that time I said, OK, then I want to. If I can somehow figure a way to reduce my housing expenses, then I can start buying more houses. So the second house I bought, I mean, at that time, house hacking wasn't invented. It, what, that term didn't exist. It was how the hell do I get a house where I don't pay any money uh, <laughs> on mortgage? That, I mean, that's what I called it. <laughs> uh, so I bought this house. I rented the basement. I rented two other rooms. And so essentially, I was living there for free. And, uh, and therefore I was able to save the money from my job and then use that savings to buy house number three. And uh, so I kind of kept my expenses low. Um, it was short-term inconveniences, but uh, it was a, 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 you know, there was a, a goal in mind and uh, it was a bigger goal in mind. And uh, so I stuck with it. But one thing I did realize though, is at least in this market, uh and also a lot of you know cities uh is especially coastal markets is that they're a pre what we call appreciating markets in the sense that over time uh property values increase um you know and the problem with these markets is that it's always expensive like my the first house i bought for forty-seven thousand, it was expensive then okay <laughs> yeah people say you're paying too much okay Fast forward 10 years later, it was 140. Oh, it's too much. Fast forward another 10 years, it's now 350. Oh, it's too much. You know, <laughs> and, you know it's always too much. It's always, it's, it, right now, it's always expensive. Wherever you are, it's always expensive. But the, the, the reality is that 10 years from now, five years from now, you'll be kicking yourself. Man, if only I bought in 2021 when it was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just the way it is. So you just have to figure a way to get in. Uh, it's very difficult in these uh, markets that we're in where it's uh, expensive and it's hard to cash flow. Uh, I mean, you can get appreciation, but it's very hard to get cash flow because the rents don't correspond to the debt that you're paying. And, and that's the challenge that I had here. That's the challenge a lot of people have. And I was able to figure that out through the Section 8 model. And, uh, and that sort of, uh, that's when I sort of realized that maybe this section eight thing, uh, can make sense because you can, you can do things to the house, i.e. add bedrooms whereby you can force the rent up. Okay. So two people can buy the same house, but get two different cash flows just by understanding how that program works. I love so many parts of that. And there was, you, you touched on a lot of the next segues we we're going to go into. Just like you said, you know, being on the coastal markets and even 
things like, uh, you know, I grew up on Long Island. I got some buddies investing there. It is very hard to get that cash flow. And a lot of them, when they don't understand the key point that I've heard you say, which I think is so brilliant about the, the turnover, you're not really making any money. So if you're not really making any money on the turnover and you're not in a market that's really appreciating, it might look like you're making money, but at the end of the day, you're not. So it's been forgiving in that. And like with the, with the section eight, like you're saying, it's insane right now what I'm seeing with demand Be because prices are so much higher. Obviously you have to get more to cover that rent, but people are not able to afford or get approved for loans as the prices go up and the wages do not. So I think the timing for your model is perfect, especially when, even though everybody was expecting a crash after the pandemic, it might've slowed down a little bit, but I don't feel we have the overbuilding and the supply like we had the last time everything crashed when there was just all these new developments that were empty all over the place. So um, talk about where you transitioned, like where did it click for you that you went section eight? Okay. I need to look more into this. I mean, was it something that you found first or it just kind of came about as you started buying properties and getting these tenants? Yeah, I was buying houses. And uh, we're in a downturn in, in the mid-90s in D.C. I mean, this is a crazy story, but I'll share it with you. Uh, essentially, I've got so many stories. <laughs> uh, essentially, uh, we're in a down market. And in a down market, as I said before, it's not pretty. Um, I had this house and I couldn't rent it. You know, it was, it was, it was hard because there was, a, you know, there was a glut of houses, um, you know, uh, you know, available to rent. And so this, this voucher lady came to me, uh, to my home. I used to live in this house. And she, I remember, I don't forget this. She said to me, I like your house, but she's a voucher holder uh, with a net worth of zero, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, she said, I, I'm not gonna rent your house. I said, why? She said, well, it doesn't have a jacuzzi. I'm saying, what? <laughs> You know, where's your hardwood floors? You know, I'm not renting your house. It doesn't have stainless steel appliances. I mean, this is a voucher holder looking me in the eye, telling me my house where I lived in wasn't worthy of her. Okay, uh, and I'm I, I was totally confused. I didn't understand what in the hell was going on. I understand it now. Uh, what was going on was that uh, you know we're in a down market. The um, other flippers who couldn't sell their homes had no choice but to start uh, reducing the price or to start renting. So I was now competing with flipping homes that couldn't sell. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and they, they had the jacuzzis, they had all that stainless steel appliance, mine didn't. And so the way Section 8 works was that, uh, you know, the, uh, the rent is based on their income. So their income is, so whether they lived in this beautiful house or my house, their rent is still the same. Okay, so she's saying in a roundabout way, hey, there's a guy down the street who's got a better house than you. I'm not going to pay any more for that house, so I'm going to go over there. Uh, and that's when I realized, whoa, hold on a minute. This Section 8, this, there's another type of Section 8 tenant that I didn't know existed. This is the tenant who, um, you know, wants a nice house, wants to be the good area, and you know, safety is a really important for her. And, uh, and she's very picky. So I realized that in order for me to survive in this market, I had to have a product that was attractive to people like her, okay? So I can survive any market, okay, any downturn. Uh, so in a, in a downturn, an apartment is competing with a condo, okay? 
uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, I, as a, a single family house, I'm now competing with flipping homes. Okay. So in that kind of environment, your competition changes. So how do you survive? You survive by being able to attract the kind of people that is going to, you know, who wants to stay there, uh, going to stay there a long time, pay the rent, pleasant to deal with, and, uh, you know, you know, take care of your house. So I realized that there's this another group of voucher holders who had all this criteria that I was looking for. They wanted a nice home. They're prepared to pay the rent. They're going to take care of the house and they want stability to stay a long time. And uh, if you can satisfy that need, then your tenants will stay and take care of your home. And therefore you can ride out this sort of the downturn. You can truly benefit from the power of real estate over the long term. You know, so you can now have a house whereby a tenant's in there for five, 10, 15, 20 years, okay? Uh, where the rents are three, four, five thousand dollars, okay, six thousand dollars, uh, and they're ha they're more than happy to stay there for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, even though the rent is three, four, five, six thousand dollars. And the reason why they're happy is because that although the rent may be five thousand dollars, their portion may be two, three, four, five hundred dollars. Okay, so if you're in a nice house in a nice area. And, uh, and your rent is two, three, four hundred dollars. You're more than happy to stay there for five, 10, 15 years. Whereas if you're a market renter and you're paying two, three, four, five thousand dollars, you're not going to stay there more than a year or two because you're going to say, I'm going to buy my own house. So you're not going to have that turnover with voucher holders that you would have if you were with uh, market renters. And uh, as you just alluded to, what I realized is that turnover is the silent killer uh, in terms of profits uh, on buy and hold, especially single families. And if you can't figure a way to minimize that turnover, you really don't make any money at the end of the day. And that's the thing that a lot of investors don't understand is, uh, yes, you're in theory, you're making four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. But if you're having that turnover, you're really not making any money. And uh, so I realized that I needed zero turnover and the only way i could get zero turnover in when the rents are two three four five six thousand dollars is section eight there's no other way uh because a market renter is certainly not going to be staying in your home uh for more than a year or two if their rent is two three four five thousand dollars they're going to buy their own house and uh and, and so that's where all rows led to section eight for me and that's when i realized huh let me master this thing. Who are these people? Uh, who are these what I call tier one tenants? Who are these people? What are they looking for? Uh, where do they want to live? Where do they not want to live? Who do they want to rent from? Who do they not want? I mean, I, I took the time to understand who my customer was. And, and therefore, I started off by having a product that targets them and that satisfies their needs. And, uh, and as a result of that, I can attract them and that's the reason why I can have properties whereby, uh, you know, the ten my, my longest tenant is 24 years uh, on a 15 year mortgage. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you, once you grasp that, okay, uh, you can get financial independence through, uh, through uh, real estate using section eight, uh, I think just as fast as any other strategy.
if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Man, there's so much good stuff in that. I love every part of that story. One of the, the big things that I think that you, you basically just answered is there's a stereotype that some people have a preconceived notion of what a Section 8 tenant is. Oh, yeah. And they think, oh, they're going to come in, they're going to trash my homes. And oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. management has put Section 8 tenants in my properties before. I just didn't really have a part in the process. And I remember, like I tell everybody, I've had way more problems with non-Section 8 tenants than Section 8 tenants. And I think it's like you said, which we'll dig into, it's just the screening process. But you know, how does that process work? Because like for me, when the people would say, hey, do you take vouchers? I said, I don't know, let me call them. And then I called them and I wasn't getting a call back. And they said, no, 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 it doesn't work that you call them and get approved. Like we come to you. So my question in that would be, okay, well, you're saying that they have to pay 400 and then section eight's going to pay like 3000. How do you verify that? How do you, it, like, is there a way to, to make sure that that's actually verified? Yeah, the way, I mean, there's no such thing as a section eight landlord. Okay. Uh, well, there is technically, but there's not really. So the way it works is that, well, first of all, let me just debunk some of these stereotypes. I mean, I had the same thing, you know, voucher holders, they're going to trash your house, nonstop drama, chaos, gangsters, hoodlums, you know, you know, you got to collect your rent with a gun, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to wear a bulletproof vest, you know, where you go, where you do maintenance calls, you know. <laughs> all that, all that, you know, st that may be true, but it's not true for the tier one tenants. Okay. It's not. And uh, at the end of the day, they are absolutely no different than you and I, they are very protective of their family. They want a decent place to live. Uh, they want to be a part of a community. Uh, you know, they want to live in a, in a nice place where it's close to shopping, recreation, transportation, decent schools. I mean, they want the same thing that you want. Okay. The only thing is that they don't have any money. Okay. That's the difference. They don't have the money, but their aspirations and desires are exactly the same as yours. And uh, a lot of these, um, you know, voucher holders, they're stuck in these bad areas because that's all they got to choose from. And uh, if you have a decent house in a decent area, they want to get out of where they are. Okay. But they have very limited choices. So you can appeal to them if you are welcoming of them. So, uh, so yeah, so go back to, um, you know, so that's the first thing I don't buy in quote unquote section eight neighborhoods. Um, you know, I fix it up to be almost look like HGTV. My thing is if I don't want to live there, I wouldn't expect anybody else. I don't have a problem living in my homes. Okay. Uh, so that's the, that's my, I mean, that's where I am now. I don't, you, you know, I didn't start off that way. Uh, but the biggest thing is the neighborhood, the location, the area where the house is, because they just want to get out of those bad areas because they want better for their families. Anyway, so with that said and done, 
you have to figure a way to screen. Uh, you got to figure out the good from the bad. And, uh, and that's where I think that uh, I've been able to sort of finesse uh, is, a, is, a, is a system uh, whereby, you know, um, I can attract the top tier because it's, at the end of the day, it's cheaper to have a place empty than it is to have the wrong person in there. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to get someone in your house. It's a lot more difficult to get them out. Uh, so, uh, so, okay. So in terms of screening, uh, what I do is, uh, you know, obviously there's the usual stuff, which is you call the current landlord. Well, first of all, I have an, an application, which is eight pages. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty detailed application and, uh, what's it called? Uh, when people apply, I tell them, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a person or a family that's clean, quiet, responsible, excellent rental history, no drama, and, and can pay the rent. I said that up front. And uh, if you're interested, I'm going to call your current landlord, previous landlord. I'm going to verify your income. I'm going to verify your credit. Also, I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to see how you keep your home, okay? Uh, because what I found is that uh, how somebody keeps their home today is how your house is going to be in three months. Okay, and you cannot tell how your house is going to be in three months by how they dress, how they talk, what kind of car they got, what kind of job. That is totally irrelevant. If you want to know how your house is going to be in three months, you go to their house. And that's how your house is going to be in three months. And so I do that and I tell people that's what we're going to do. And so it's almost like a self-screening. If you are a dodgy tenant and you don't want me to go to your home, then you're not going to apply for my house. Uh, if you're a dodgy tenant and the land, you, you know, your landlord's going to give you a bad rep uh, references, you're not going to apply. So it, it's almost, it's almost like a self-screening and, uh, but I have something that they want. I have something that it's a beautiful house in a beautiful area. So I can set the bar high, but still attract these folks because they're not intimidated, uh, by these, uh, these requirements. They say, if you want to come to my house, let's go. My house is just like this. Uh, I keep my house spotless. And, uh, you know, if you call my landlord, he'll give me a 10 out of 10. They're not intimidated by this at all. And uh, and so, you know, you can, I mean, today I was, I was telling you, I, I mean, I've got a house up in Washington. I, w I went down there to do the screening showing today. And uh, so for this house, so far, we've got seven applications uh, in a space, just three showings. So despite all these hurdles, bars, high rate, I mean, I'm still getting seven applications, okay? So uh, and I'm pretty sure out of that seven, four, five of them are, are really good. Uh, but I've only got one house, which means I'm going to have to turn down six people. It's tough, but, but you can get good people who are going to stay for whoever lives that, whoever moves into that house, it's going to be there at least 10 years. And the rent is 5400 It's almost $5,400 is the rent for that house. And I, I envision that the tenant is going to be there for at least 10 years. And, uh, and so the house in 10 years from now, it's a gentrifying neighborhood, is going to be a lot worth more. It's going to be worth a lot more than what it is today. So, it's, it, so it just makes a lot of sense to have stability and, uh, and therefore you can realize the power of real estate, you know, the cash flow, the tax benefits, the equity appreciations, the leverage, all those things. 
uh, is possible if you can hold on to this thing for a long time. I There's a lot of things I've been saying. I know I, I've been talking a lot. No, it's all, <laughs> it's all great information because we just had the same thing. I think we had like 50 applications in a week and a half. And like you said, we had one house. So the next thing was we're going to market the crap out of this area and find more houses because we have all of these tenants that are still looking for yeah. places. So I think yeah. that that's such great information. So in that situation that you wind up with six or seven tenants, my follow-up question would be, is there any guidelines or protocols you have to be aware of when turning people down or being selective so you don't run into some sort of discriminatory practices? Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, you, you, you go through the thing about uh, how fair housing is that you got to have the same, uh, what I call uh, policies, screening policies that you apply across the board. So whatever I do for one person, I got to do for everybody. So, you know, so we have these policies. We tell people straight up front, this is what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to call your current landlord, we're going to call your previous landlords, we're going to check your income credit, also going to go do a home visit. I don't just do that for one group of people, I do it for across the board. And uh, once you get the applications, obviously you start verifying the information. Um, you know, I also do social media checks. Uh, you'll be surprised what people put on social media. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we also verify, you know, we, we check into social media accounts that people have. And uh, but anyway, after you do all that screening, so you may have seven applications, uh, but you know maybe after you go through all that stuff, uh, I may end up going to three people's houses because the other four didn't get through. So now I have three. Okay, that's sort of uh, uh, who've made it through the hoops, and four fell by the wayside, if that makes sense. And then I'll go to the three houses. Okay. So, uh, so although I had seven applications, I'm only going to do three home visits, okay? Because the other four, for whatever, either credit or landlord references or whatever it is, didn't go through. And uh, so I'll go to three people's homes, and uh, and based on that home visit, I'll make a decision. And uh, but you apply across the board, and uh, I've only got one house, which means I'm going to have to turn somebody down. And, uh, and so what I do is, uh, if I turn somebody down, then obviously I let them know that hopefully I'll be buying another home shortly and, uh, and then we'll let you go through uh, on that one if possible. Uh, but that's just part one. Part one is to get them into the house. Part two is keeping them there <laughs> once, <laughs> once they're in. Okay. Uh, that's a whole other thing, which I go through. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that as well, but, yeah, I but definitely. yeah, because it's not an accident that people stay five, 10, 50. It's not an accident. It's not, it's not sort of cross my fingers and hope for the best. No, it's a very calculated strategy. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, so you want me to share some of the ideas? I think I, you want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I love the stuff you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So, um, every mother's day. Uh, all my tenants get bouquets of flowers, every one of them. Okay. Um, every Christmas we give all my tenants, uh, free, uh, you know, Christmas presents. Uh, if the kids do well at school and show me a, a report card, all A's, I give them 50 bucks and we have a timeshare about a couple of hours from here. All my tenants get free vacations, free vacations. Okay. Uh, if something goes wrong, fix it. Um, uh, so essentially what I'm doing. Uh, Nick, is that I realized that just because I have a, a nice house in a nice area, if I'm not a good landlord, 
they will leave. Okay, they will. It's just like, you know, you go into a great employer, uh, you know, just by the fact, uh, let's pick a company out, Amazon or Facebook or one of the Google, whatever the company is. Just, I mean, they've got a reputation, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it's a prestigious place and so on. But if they treat their employees crappy, the employees will leave at some point, okay? Because the good name or good reputation of the company is not worth the hassles that they're going through when they're working there, okay? So the same thing here, just because I have a nice house in a nice area, if I'm a crappy landlord, uh, if I don't take care of the home, if I don't treat the t uh, tenants with respect, uh, if I don't show them appreciation that they, I'm happy for them to be there, if I look down on them, uh, if I take them for granted, then at some point they will say, no, you know, let's, let's go somewhere else. So I have to figure a way to keep them there. And, uh, and that, all those things which I just shared with you is a way to let them know I appreciate them. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that they're staying with me. Uh, I'm very grateful uh and i want them to stay and so what what happens is that they have to make a decision every year or two do i stay with joe who's giving me bouquets of flowers christmas presents fixing this and fixing that has got a beautiful housing or do i go to nick's house they don't know nick okay from adam nick could be the traditional section 8 slumlord uh he may not take care of the house. they don't know you okay so what I'm doing is to put a barrier against you where it's not, it's not in their interest to even think about leaving me, okay? Um, and so that's how I uh, get them to stay. I make it so good for them. Uh, I, make the, I focus on making sure they're happy. I focus on customer service that it's not in their interest to leave. And that's how you get your 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Okay, it's once they're in, you make sure that they're happy. Okay, uh, and you focus on that because the alternative is that they leave and you're going to have a turnover, which is going to wipe out all your profits and uh, you got to do the whole thing again. And it's very, very stressful. It's very time consuming and it's very expensive. That's such good info with Section 8. Are they automatically raising the rents or are you now having to have an awkward conversation with people that are kind of your friends now that, hey, I love you. I, you know, I got you X, Y and Z. Happy birthday. However, rents are going up on your on your renewal. Well, the thing is, uh, what's it called? Uh, the rents that they pay. I mean, there's two parts to this. OK, there's the total rent. And then there's the portion that the tenant pays. OK, for the most part, the tenants don't really care what the total rent is. Okay, the, the fact that my house is 5,400, they don't really care. Okay, it could be $10,000, they don't care. Okay, what they care about is what's their portion. <laughs> okay, the two, three, four, five hundred, whatever it is, uh, that's, what, that's what they're concerned about is how much do I have to pay every month to you, the landlord? Okay, not what's the total rent. So when you get a rent increase, uh, for the most part, they don't really care. Okay, it's what does it impact on them? And what impacts them is usually if their income changes. So if their income changes, then their rent will change. And you don't, I don't set their rent. Okay, the housing authority sets that rent. So I'm not the bad guy. 
um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not the one who says your portion went up from three to $500. That's not my decision. Okay. The housing authority made that decision based on the documentation that they provided them. The, the tenant provided the housing authority. You see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. they don't get upset with me. That is the rent increase. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, their portion of the rent is determined by their income and also their family size. Right. That, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Is there a resource you use to figure out in certain markets what the demand is for rentals and what Section 8 is paying per bedroom? Well, I know what I did, uh, it, you know, where we are in Washington, uh, you know, I mean, I have a business background, so I took it from that perspective. Uh, I contacted the housing authority when I was sort of getting into this thing and said, which group of people have the hardest time finding houses? Okay, which which of your voucher holders have a hard time getting houses? And they say, well, if they got two bedrooms, now nah, there's plenty of apartments out here. You know, people with two bedroom vouchers, they can find something. Okay, what about the three bedroom people? Well, they have a little hard time, but you know, they can usually find something. Okay, what about the four bedroom? Well, they can't find anything. Okay, what about the five bedroom? It's non-existent. What about the six bedroom? Never, well, they, they, they don't exist, okay? So what I realized, then the next question is, well, how many people have four, five, and six bedroom vouchers? Uh, you know, the demand is there, but the question is how many, how much of the demand is there? And, uh, and they said, yeah, we have a lot of people who have four, uh, obviously there's fewer with five, but there's still a lot. And there's still a few, quite a few people with sixes. So the demand was there from my perspective. The problem was there was no supply. Okay. So I said, okay, let me zero in on there uh, because there's high demand, low supply. To me, that's the nirvana of any business. You have a product that's in high demand, but there's low supply. Uh, so that's why I do mainly four, five, and six bedroom houses because uh, there aren't that many four, five, and six bedroom houses in Washington. And, uh, but there's a need for that uh, with people who have that size voucher. So this is sort of, uh, you know, that's the reason why I sort of zeroed in on that, on that, in that target area. Uh, it made a lot of sense. And, uh, and every time I have a house, I'm always, I have more applications than I, uh, I, 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 you know, it's, it's the demand is there. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, -E to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, -E to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's Excellent, man. This has been really great. I know we're running out of time here. There's a, a thousand different things I could still dig into with you, but I like to call this the uh, the victory lap as we kind of round things up in a nice bow and just hit you with a few final questions here. Um, one of them is, what is one of your favorite quotes? Whoa, that was a good one. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I like the quote. Uh, there's a couple. Um, you can't see a rainbow by looking down. <laughs> okay. Which means that, you know, if you stay focused on where you're going, you know, you'll get there. And despite the ups and downs, I mean, up, if you're looking down all the time, you're feeling sorry for yourself and thinking, why me? You know, you, you miss the rainbow. Uh, so pull your head up, suck it up, get over it and, and stay focused. And uh, that's a nice one. Uh, the other one I said before was the a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a genius learns from other people's mistakes. Um, the reason why I like that one is that I think that for, 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 for all of us, we don't have a lot of time to make mistakes. Okay. Why make mistakes if you don't have to? There's always somebody somewhere who's already made that mistake. Okay. You just need to go out and find that person and learn from that person. What did they do? Such that hopefully you can avoid making that mistake. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, so I, I, why recreate the wheel is not necessary. Great advice. I love that. Um, for your advice for somebody starting out. So I know that you, you invest for cash flow and appreciation. If somebody said, okay, well, I don't want to wait, you know, 10 years now for my houses to be worth more. I need to build this over the next six to 12 months and start getting a portfolio together. What kind of strategy or tactical advice would you give somebody to build up in the next six to 12 months? Uh, Good one. Um, I think, you know, you're going to have to, first of all, it's, it was five part, really. One is, uh, that would look. what I would do would be work on yourself first. Okay. Uh, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Uh, what are your goals? And uh, make sure you get buy-in from your spouse, your family, or, or whoever it is. Because if you don't get that buy-in, you, you, it's, it's a hard. Okay, so working yourself, get the buy-in and uh, identify your strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, decide on which niche you're gonna focus on. Okay, because as we know, in real estate, there's so many different niches. You can't do them all. Uh, if you wanna quit uh, or build a portfolio in 12 to, uh, you know, 12, you know, 12 to 18 months or whatever it is, then obviously you're gonna need to, um, you know, either do buy and hold, do a burr, but you're gonna need to have financing. Uh, if you don't have financing, you need to surround yourself with people who have that financing. Then the next part would be, uh, probably, uh, learn the basics of that, whatever the strategy is going to be Identify The next thing would be identify a successful person, uh, who's successful doing what it is that you're trying to do and then take action and make it happen, leverage on their, uh, uh, their experiences. It's not easy. Uh, I don't think. It, <laughs> I don't know what to say about this, but I know I don't want to burst people's bubbles. <laughs> uh, there's no get rich quick. Okay. There, it, it, it's, 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 it's very hard. It's a tough business. Okay. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to feel, you're going to have some setbacks. Um, people who, 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 who I think have unrealistic expectations, uh, sometimes get disappointed that it's not happening fast enough. And then they move on to something else or they take unnecessary risks, uh, which will sort of torpedo the whole game plan. So it's, I'm not saying slow, slow and steady, but I'm just saying that it's very, you know, have a, uh, uh, use time to your benefit. Okay. 
uh, real estate is very it's very forgiving over time and um, you know the thing is to make sure you buy in the right places not all areas appreciate the same uh, not all markets appreciate the same if you want to get wealth then I would suggest that uh, the real money is appreciation uh, cash flow is good but the real money, after all is said and done, is buying stuff for forty, fifty thousand. That's worth five, six, seven hundred thousand. That's where that's where the money is. But not all markets will get you that. Not all parts of town will get you that. But if you understand that concept, uh, you can strategically buy. Okay, and don't just buy anything, uh, but strategically buy, uh, knowing that uh, over a period of time, it's going to work itself out for you in your favor. That's Outstanding advice and a great place to close. This has been awesome. You are such a wealth of knowledge. Again, there was so many things I could have dug into, but everything you said I thought was golden. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, before we let you go, talk about what you have going on. How do people find you? I know you have the Wealth Wednesdays. I know you have a webinar coming up. You have some courses. You're teaching people all over how to do this as well. So talk how to find you and things you have working. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So uh, every Wednesday I have a... Um uh live stream on facebook and instagram 7 p.m eastern time i call it wealth wednesdays uh i'm all about providing quality content okay not fluff quality and every wednesday instagram facebook 7 p.m i'm there we talk about different subjects i'm providing quality content quality information and so on so it's every wednesday 7 p.m that's one thing i do if you sign up if you go to my website joeasamoa.com that's joe joeasamoa.com um, A-S-A-M-O-A-H.com. Um, you can sign up for my uh, Le Legacy Investment Network, where if you sign up for that, it's free. Uh, every week we have a newsletter. Uh, again, good content. Uh, we have uh, competitions. We have events. Um, you know, everything's free, okay? And every now and then I do, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, webinars. We have a webinar this Tuesday. And uh, so the idea is that for those people who are interested in Section 8, uh, I'm going to talk about that in a bit more detail. And uh, I'm going to have a four-part course uh, where we go, we're doing a deep, deep, deep dive into Section 8. So anyone who wants to, I call it the Section 8 playbook. Um, you know, this is how you do Section 8, okay? The nuts and bolts. And uh, this is how you master Section 8. And uh, so I'm going to be doing a, a starting a course on that one, uh, November the 6th, I think it is. Uh, so you can sign up for uh, that if you're interested. Uh, you know, uh, joeasamoa.com slash Section 8 Playbook. And um, or, uh, yeah, so there's different ways. You can go to my website. You'll get all that information. And uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as well. And uh, I'm just, I just, well, I'm, I, I love helping other people. Uh, my thing is, yes, we can make money, which we do, but also you can make a difference in people's lives. Uh, and that's what it's all about is how can I, how can we, how can you make a difference in other people's lives? Um, you know, my goal this year is to uh, provide quality housing for 30 kids. Okay. Uh, not my kids. My uh, these are these are my tenants' kids. You know, so uh, I'm making a difference in people's lives. You know, through me, through them living in these homes. Uh, several of my tenants' kids have gone to college. Uh, it's it's housing is such a major part of people's lives, and if you can provide people quality housing, quality areas, you can make a huge difference in people's lives. So that's what it's all about. 
<laughs> I love that, man. And anybody listening, obviously, if you go to the show notes, I'll have all the links to your social media, to your website, to the webinar, and uh, all that fun stuff. So I really appreciate it. Anybody listening to this obviously knows that you're giving content and straightforward information, which I think has been great. So I can't thank you enough for jumping on and doing this. I know you're a busy guy and I know your time is valuable. You obviously bring your A game to everything you do. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with before we let you go about your night? Uh, no, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Nick. Uh, hopefully I provide uh, some quality content to your audience. And, uh, you know, the real good book, which I, I've, I've read now, I've, I've finished it a couple of months ago, is uh, The Wealthy Gardener is a really good one uh, by John Seforic. It's a really good book. Uh, I'd recommend anyone to, to check that out. And, uh, but yeah, just let's, let's, let's build a network. Let's uh, share knowledge. Let's help. Let's make money, make a difference in other people's lives, and let's strive for our goals, whatever those goals are. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, everyone will be better for it. Looking forward to it. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Dr. Joe Asamoah, ladies and gentlemen, have an outstanding evening. Thanks.